Virtue becomes the vehicle for a happy existence. Through virtue, good fortune is attained. Virtue is the vehicle for liberation. 
Let us purify our virtue. This completes the ten precepts. May all beings be free from suffering. May all beings be free from ill will. May all beings be filled with loving kindness. May all beings make themselves truly happy. Thank you and good evening. Once again, I noticed that the timer was in a strange setting. Was it working okay this afternoon? What's that? The timing was off. The timing was off. Okay. Well, <laughs> hopefully we'll get that all sorted out by tomorrow. Had uh, <laughs> to change the batteries last night. I think some things may have not got set quite right. So, Has anyone had any interesting uh, discoveries or insights as a result of observing sensations? Death? Oh, please call in. Uh, it's just something general, but, uh, but I, I think um, by observing eating, I, I noticed that uh, uh, the mouth has so many um, uh, so many nerve endings and we have to be ex- extremely careful while we eat because it's easy to indulge and um, it is, it is eat, eat, um, eating is something we can easily indulge our mind into and, and we need to pay extra attention to while we're eating. That certainly is. Uh, food, eating, restaurants, fine dining, People becoming overweight. <laughs> it's like addiction. Eating a lot of fast foods, addictions, yes. That's true. So you were noticing not just the sensations, but the pleasurable qualities, both from the physical sense and, and the mind associated with that. Yeah. Okay. okay, I have insight. Uh, when I do the walking meditation, mm-hmm. um, I walk to the somewhere back, mm-hmm. and I hear the neighbor's music. Mm-hmm. It's rap music. Mm-hmm. I say, the first reaction is great. Here, meditate. Hear the rap, okay, music. Then immediately I, I realize, whoa, that is the things I against and push. I think ideally in my mind, meditate. Suppose you know that 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 I have idea that. You know, and quiet, and and I see the mind has a stimulation immediately, immediately against that, mm-hmm. and uh, as soon as the thoughts come, and I recognize right away, and uh, I watch that uh, the feeling of against mm-hmm. that sound, okay, and I put a label, you know, to that sound. Uh, very interesting. When I go the other way around, music come again. Because they have a period of why? Because I walk very slow, and they stop. Okay, and they're very quiet. And when I walk on the other side, and I hear the music again, 
but maybe because uh, the realization and the aware, uh, awareness there in the first you know, reaction. Mm -hmm. So second, I still sense, still sound, but much subtle than the first react. Mm -hmm. you know, that is the things and, and help me to recognize I, uh, that is my um, pattern, react. Mm -hmm. You know, when the things I dislike, mm -hmm. and, and that is the things I observe. That's, yes, that's good. So, that's uh, recognizing your reactions, uh, being mindful of them, is uh, uh, amongst other things, it is the first step towards uh, establishing equanimity. So, yeah. Yeah. Uh, Sean? Uh, just based comments on uh, his uh, uh, sense of eating. Um, I think as long as we observe the, the sense of your, your taste or the sense of us, anything, uh, any sense organs, it's just like the song. We, we do not, yes, we should. You should not uh, craving. You should not crave for anything to avoid uh, suffering. But uh, as long as we, have, we observe as much clear as it is, every phenomena cannot last long, very long. It disappear itself. So we we need not to fear about the substance of the phenomena. Mm -hmm. Because the, there is no sub, sub, there is no substantial entity of everything, including the taste or the or the sense sense of touch or sense of hearing. They all come and go by itself. So mm -hmm. you need not to stop it or not to push it, and to keep avoiding these kind of things. It will disappear by itself. So. It's, it's empty, I think. So just let it come and if you do not, you need not to fear or you need not to, to stop them. If you come by yourself, you go by yourself. Yeah, that's true. The sensations, and uh, the sensations come by themselves and they go by themselves. They are impermanent. But the problem comes that we pursue them anyway. We keep trying to, we, uh, which is why we have addiction to food, which is why we have people who are overweight, which is why we have people who uh, spend a lot of time and energy and money in the pursuit of the sensual pleasures that are obtained from food because they haven't recognized the impermanent and ultimately unsatisfactory nature of these sensations. But yes, when you do, that's exactly right. When you recognize them for what they are, and when you recognize your mind's reaction to them, then that's where the equanimity comes. And then at that point it's no longer a problem. But before the equanimity is there, <laughs> before the knowledge, the recognition is there, then they can be a great problem, and as you know, they are a great problem for many people.
But yes, that's a very important thing to notice about sensations, about pleasure, about physical pleasure and mental pleasure, all of them. They rise and they pass away. They rise and pass away due to causes. They're, they're empty of any sort of self-existent nature. They are what your mind makes of them. And they just they come and go. They're impermanent and ultimately unsatisfactory. You had something more to say, Michael? I guess so. Um, I, um, I think um, indulgence in eating can easily lead to uh, other lustful desires because, it, you know, it's like uh, people who are addicted to one drug, mm-hmm. you know, most often are addicted to other drugs too. Mm-hmm. And the same applies to people who are not very mindful of their eating and mm-hmm. their, their overindulging eating. Okay. They easily can have addictions in other, in other ways. And that will take us further and further away from the, from the path that we're, mm-hmm. we're, we're, you know, we, we like to be on. Yes, and that's the, there is a, that's why we have the admonition to guard the senses. And what guarding the senses means is being aware when these kinds of sensual pleasures and your mind's reaction to them create the danger. So that, uh, and, and I mean, some people would interpret guarding the senses as avoiding eating anything that tastes good or avoiding doing anything that feels good, and that's not what it means at all. Guarding the senses means, because even if you try to avoid that, uh, what will happen is you're still going to experience things that are pleasurable and attractive, and because you've been denying yourself, you're just going to be that much more strongly attracted to them. Guarding the senses means uh, the guarding part is the mindful awareness, the vigilance uh, by which you recognize uh, the reactions and you recognize if some sort of compulsive attachment is developing to that. And of course food, food is one of those very basic things that uh, we have especially strong attraction to and it's very natural. Uh, You you can become compulsively addicted to rap music but it's not quite uh, the same thing (laughs) as food. Yes, I like to share my insight that uh, probably ridiculous and crazy, you can laugh. I, I'm going to laugh with you. Okay. The past two days, I was uh, driven by my desire to find a perfect location to do outdoor meditation. Mm-hmm. And uh, I was like a crazy woman <laughs> holding my blanket and my mat. I check every spot in the outdoor and I try on every possible place, try to find a perfect spot to do my, you know, daytime meditation. And I failed. Some spots too noisy by the water, the sound of water. Some spot is, you know, after I settle down, the sun, the sun move and then too much sunshine. Some spot after I settle down, the dog started barking, and the neighbors so uh, probably they are doing the so uh, e- electrical so sewer or something or some kind of tool. Some kind of models yeah. that after I settle down in my perfect position, then that noise arises, <laughs> and uh, sometimes a truck, you know, mm-hmm. coming. I mean, 
there's a there's a no spot that made me satisfied. And uh, today I realized I was really crazy. <laughs> so I officially announced to myself, this is the ending of my outdoor meditation. I'm going to, I'm going to stay indoor and deal with myself. <laughs> because when I look at myself holding my blanket and my mat, you know, just go there like a crazy woman looking for every spot. And I fell miserably. I'm going to move, uh, give up my plan to move out tomorrow. <laughs> <laughs> so I wanted to share that it's really true. There's a, there's a no place is perfect. It's impossible. So I'm just going to sit here and deal with myself. That's dukkha, isn't it? <laughs> That's <a> dukkha. <laughs> but the, the past two days, I wasn't. I I really is crazy. <laughs> My mind wasn't right. <laughs> the, the other thing that uh, you might notice about that, in terms of the senses and sensation, is that you have very limited control over sensation, right? What comes, comes, whether it's the, the sun or sound or, or anything else. No perfect place. There is, and there's no, no perfect place and there's no control, or very limited control over it. So, and you can spend all your time trying to, to find the perfect place. Uh, so. <laughs> you <laughs> Thank you. That's, That's a good story. <laughs> yeah. For yeah. that, I can comment the one thing. Uh, I find a place I'm so enjoying. <laughs> <laughs> See, we have a different karma. <laughs> Not the karma, that, that's the point I want to point out. They, you know, the most important is you find a place, the perfect is inside, not the outside. Here. Here. Yeah. Well, the perfect inside. is inside here. Here, here. Inside here. Yeah. <laughs> right. And, and, yeah. And the water, the sun, the photo quick, I feel like a so smoothy and, and helping me and, and, and there and, and I beside the water I hardly can hear any other sound at all and I just say today is no traffic no, no car pass by or what I cannot hear anything at all yeah beside the water you that's have the, a good karma and that's, good that's karma. the, <laughs> the emptiness of the sound of water the sound of water is empty from its own side because to one person, it's a distraction. To the other, it removes distraction. Exactly. <laughs> so, dependence. Interdependence. Interdependence. Well, uh, it, it's true that it's interdependent. In this case, the, uh, what we would say is it, it, uh, the reality is a, is a projection of the mind. Your yes, mind exactly. projected yes. it as a one kind of reality, and that was your karma. And yes. Deborah's mind projected as, as a different kind of reality, and that's her karma. You have much more control over the projections of your mind through learning to understand your karma than you have over the external world and the impact on your senses. And that's an important thing to remember, that 
You know, if you if you tr- if you make your happiness dependent upon trying to control the environment, the external factors, the by trying to control what impacts on your senses and how it impacts on your senses, uh, you will have a lot of frustration. But on the other hand, the other half of it, since it is empty, since the since the sound of the water is empty, you can you can determine whether for you you have the good karma of finding the water that removes the distraction or the bad karma of, <laughs> of having the place that's otherwise perfect be made imperfect by the sound of the water. So yeah. Yeah. one thing I'm not quite understand why keeping say that is a karma. I think that is the through the Dharma practice, we, 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 we practice that, mm-hmm. you know, to accept and uh, uh, the environment and do not judging. But mm-hmm. why can we say that's karma? Because that is karma. That's cause and effect. The cause is the Dharma practice and letting go of the judging, and the effect is the result. Oh. Okay? So, that's cause and effect. Yeah, cause and effect, <laughs> Yeah. That cause of in fact yeah. is karma. That's right. I didn't mean karma. It was because something either you did in a past life. It's, <laughs> <laughs> it's because of, it's the karma that's the result of what both of you are doing in your mind in this life that produces this particular effect. <laughs> yes? I was going to share the same experience. Um, mm-hmm. So I would say people that... Uh, but uh, more generally, I, th- I think I have a controlling personality. Um, mm-hmm. I want to optimize things. Mm-hmm. So if we think about craving as wanting things not to be as they are, I think uh, I've, this personality fits perfectly. So um, my question is, do people with this kind of personality have more difficulty uh, advancing in the meditation practice? Um, certainly this kind of personality, I think, um, helps somewhat in, in let's say, the, the watery things. Yes, that personality may be beneficial in certain kinds of ordinary things. Do you have, will you have more difficulty? I, because, because the power of craving is so strong in every person, including the craving to, that things be in a particular way, and the desire to control the way things are. it's true that you may have more of that than the average person. But what that means is, whereas the average person has a 10 million ton mountain to move, you have an 11 million ton mountain to move. <laughs> the massiveness is so much so that, that your, your, what you are more than the rest is not so much. You know? But I do feel like the difference between Deborah and Leo Sina and also mm-hmm. I, the difference between me and people around me, mm-hmm. uh, things that wouldn't bother them would bother me yeah. tremendously. So, so are we talking this million mountains difference? Yeah, there's this, the difference between you is, is, is not so great compared to the, the task as a whole. But also what you find is that the mountain disappears by itself when you find the right approach to it. When you when you recognize what's taking place in your mind and the way you're doing this, then you can you you can let go of it. Uh, 
when we talk about grasping, the opposite of grasping is letting go. And the thing about letting go is it may be hard to get to the point of letting go in terms of understanding, recognizing the need. You know. But the act of letting go is very simple. It's, it's entirely simple. So, you know, if you're... Uh, all I have to do to let go is... Yeah, it's very easy. But <laughs> coming to the point of recognizing, you know, I can... I can well, actually, a better... Do you know there's a, a story that you're probably familiar with? I, uh, apparently, in some places in the world, they trap monkeys. And in order to trap the monkey, they take a coconut, cut a hole in it, and they put a stone inside. No, not a stone. They put, they put a, a banana inside, a fruit, something that the... Uh, so the monkey reaches in through the hole, grabs the banana, and then his hand won't come out while he's holding the banana, so he's trapped. And uh, that's really a, a, a good example. Of the, the monkey can't figure out that all that, you know... Uh, the problem is that his, his greed attaches him to the banana, and it's the same thing. Our craving, our desire, we want things the way we want things, you know. And as long as we're in that place, we, we can't let go. But if we ever figure, like if the monkey ever figures out to let go of the banana, or we if, if we ever figure out and truly understand how we're causing our own problem through our attachment, our craving, then, then the letting go is very easy. So. Conceptually, it makes perfect sense, but in a moment, I act, act like like the monkey. Yeah. So yeah. I mean, well, that's right. So the tendency, my mm-hmm. uh, my habitual tendency, is to do things, and as I become more aware, I may do less of this yeah. controlling. But yeah. uh, I wonder if there is a special kind of meditation for people. Like <laughs> Yes, it is. Mindful awareness, yeah. <laughs> Noticing every time that that's happening. Really, uh, and we'll talk more about this, but that is the most powerful medicine in the world. Just becoming aware, just catching yourself in the act and say, you know, I, w- without even changing what you're doing, just knowing that this is what you're doing and just knowing that this is the result of it, which practicing mindful awareness. And... In, in through meditation, you develop the habit of practicing mindful awareness in the rest of your life, and that's really uh, that's really where the payoff is. You know, it's not the uh, the retreat's over with, and then you forget all this and go back to the world. Or if you meditate in your daily practice every day, you know the the bell rings and meditation's over, and then you get up and you turn off your mindful awareness. The idea is that is that you keep that mindful awareness going and you see what's happening. You see, you see how uh, your desires and your aversions create mental states and then you become the prisoner of that mental state. And you suffer the consequences of that mental state. You know? And it's just a question of seeing it. Uh, the wonderful thing about mindful awareness is, and, and the wonderful thing about your mind is you, your mind is incredibly logical. So if you can just bring yourself to see what you're doing, your mind will stop doing it. You know. So uh, 
by catching yourself in the act and clearly recognizing the consequences of your actions, it takes only so many times of doing that before you'll notice that your mind changes and it doesn't do quite the same thing anymore. Very powerful medicine. And I know some of you have been practicing that. Would you attest to the fact that it's, yeah, it works? <laughs> it really works, right? Yeah, yeah. Uh, I, I could completely identify with what you said because as a single child, I know as you know, as far as being a control freak, <laughs> I'm the control neat freak queen. Um, my husband could attest to that. <laughs> but but I think what initially helped me. Um, is that conceptually it makes perfect sense except the habit is so strong that the momentum is there it's very hard to just say okay stop from this point on but you had to what helped me was I made a determination that you know I want this to stop because this creates not only my suffering but also the people around me so if if conceptually works but you can't do it but it's try to say, okay, I'm not going to do it, even though initially it might drive you crazy, you just can't, like, you can't do it, but you just force yourself to just don't do it, and tell yourself that the world's not going to fall apart because you don't do something. And after a while, you kind of suddenly get used to it, say, okay, I could just, I could see it, but I don't have to react to it. Well, probably okay. the part could be a good thing. <laughs> <laughs> super, super. Oh. oh, I'm sorry. I don't know if I can comment on that. My experience is that I, I remind, I admire you. Try to stop, and I don't think I can stop myself. <laughs> but you know, it's easier. But, but, it my, easier. but I want to mention this that just just like Chodas mentioned, you know, just just observe, and once once I catch that. You know, I, I, my mindfulness catches, so, oh, wow, I'm doing that. Just like uh, I, I just mentioned, it's, okay, I'm against that music. Okay, once I have that, and just keeping by watching, and that's so powerful. And, and that, that, that uh, the strong against that collapse itself. Now, I don't, my experience, I don't need, need to stop it. You know, once I see that clearly, and once again, 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 and the mind stop itself. Is I'm not use my my will, you know, to stop it. No. Mm-hmm. So this is not a uh, practice. The the I don't know. How I don't know how to say in English. Okay. But but however, I feel like it's very powerful. But Deborah, may I add this? Uh, you have to understand that uh, this is a step. Uh, the the practicing Dharma. Take steps. The control freak, like my friend, I think <laughs> she need to practice step by step. Even you explained to her, to to Tracy, if you know, maybe you already reached that step, mm-hmm. but maybe June haven't. So it, she needed to practice from the take, beginning, step a, by step. It, it takes a while. It's kind of like initially, you know. Uh, Civilization established laws to prevent people doing certain things to harm themselves or other people say you cannot you you know cannot kill, cannot steal, cannot do certain things only because that's for the ignorant part. Because if you just you know, if there's something or a rule that says you can't do it, then you won't do it, you follow it, not because you understand it, 
But once you see the consequence, you don't necessarily have to follow the law because logically you just know because you know the cause and effect of it. It, it takes a while. Mm -hmm. Yes. And, and, and what I'm saying that is, for me, I feel that, that that's not even that hard, harder than stuff. I say it's easier for just by looking at it instead of I force myself to stop. That, that is what my point is, not even go that far. You know, just watching it, you, you can see the power itself. That, that's what mm -hmm. I want to try to point out. But be able to watch it is already very good. Sometimes the control freak not be able to watch it, they just react right away. That's right. Well, that's what, with, with all of our strongest habits and with all of our, the, the, the biggest problems that we have is that the tendencies are so strong that we just act. And then there's a second part to it, is that there's a tendency uh, to judge. We, we want to be in a particular way and we want to not be in another way. So, uh, first of all, we do these things without even realizing it. And then we realize we've done it, you know, and, uh, and so rather than confront and examine our minds and our motivations and our actions and our consequences, which is what even after the act is over with, you can practice mindfulness, you can say, ah, that was, that was the event, that was the reaction of my mind, and this is the consequence of it. You know? But we don't. Instead, it's like as soon as we realize that uh, we did that thing again, we want to push it away and not look at it. Right? So you're saying, focus on the, pay more attention to the consequences. That, that will be. Look, look at the whole thing. Look at the, look at the cause, look at the action, and look at the consequence. And not, not in judgment, but just recognize them. Just allow the power of your mind to understand these things. This is the cause, and this is the action, and this is the consequence. But what if the consequence of my being controlling actually makes everybody happy in certain rare situations? Well. <laughs> <laughs> like what? <laughs> I wonder. <laughs> like at, at work, sometimes, you know, uh, that's so, the thing I want to ask you about. Yeah. So we, you, you use the analogy of channeling your energy to reward mm -hmm. uh, this part of your mind and mm -hmm. not giving more energy to the other part. I feel that at work, uh, my, the controlling part of me is constantly being rewarded. Mm -hmm. um, maybe the solution is to give up work? <laughs> <laughs> I don't understand. Uh, why not learn to distinguish between the times that it is rewarded and the times that it produces dissatisfaction and unhappiness? Yeah. You see, you, you, can, uh, you can do both. But you can come to recognize uh, you, uh, recognize the difference. If, if you have, if your controlling nature is sometimes beneficial, which I can see that it would be sometimes, and other times it's a problem, uh, then it's not a question of uh, uh, changing yourself so that you never have any desire to be in control, but rather that you can clearly distinguish when it's beneficial to mm -hmm. exercise this faculty that you have and when it's better to restrain it. As a matter of fact, 
At some point you may find that it doesn't even arise on those occasions when it's not beneficial to yourself and to others. The point is that when it's creating a problem, that you're you're aware of that, you know, and not and not in a judging way, uh, and not in a denying way, but just in a clear and understanding way. Yes, uh, I have a, a a separate question I like yeah. to ask. Um, it seems like the mind is can be extremely compliant when the mind is uh, comfortable and the body is comfortable. Yes. And um, and it seems like there are different ways that uh, that the mind and the body can be comfortable. One is you know through direct wisdom. I think, of course, that's the that's the best best way. Um, we understand certain certain things are causing us stress, and we let go of them. And there are also other other ways um, that also helps. Like you know, when I meditate at home, I think yeah, at least at least compared to uh, the beginning of the meditation, uh, uh, retreat meditation. Um, the the meditation quality at home uh, in uh, is better because it's very comfortable at home. Um, and um, like uh, over here, say for example, the quality of my meditation will improve right after I take a hot shower. Mm-hmm. The mind is more relaxed. The body's uh, circulation is is good. So so um, so. Um, I, I recall that you mentioned several times uh, in our meditation, gradually uh, the mind and the body becomes more and more comfortable and therefore it's a factor in helping us uh, achieve even higher uh, meditation levels. Mm-hmm. So, so we can do that either th- uh, through ways, uh, like for example taking a hot shower, or <laughs> You know, if 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 but there's a there is a, a difference here with over time with practice, meditation becomes easier and you become more comfortable in your body and your, and your mind as a result of the training, right? Uh, how would you like to be so good at meditation that you could sit down on a sidewalk on a busy street corner and go into meditation? I'd like to do that. I'd like to do that? Yeah. You won't do that if you always take a hot shower in order to get in the right mood. <laughs> so, so, so say for example, if I, well, if my meditation is really, really good and uh, I've attained a, a really deep understanding of reality and, yeah. and, and it's like the monkey that can let go of that banana, mm-hmm. you know, that therefore I wouldn't need to take a, you know, rely on the hot shower anymore. I'm going to be enlightened. I'm just suggesting that <clears throat> you don't want to become reliant upon manipulating your circumstances. Because then, then you can only manipulate... Then you, then you can only have a really good meditation when you've got the right circumstances. Well, certain manipulation is the resource is always there. Like for example, manipulation of the breath. Yeah. Um, like for example, some other teacher like Ajahn Jeff uh, Tanisar Bhikkhu, the method that he taught, uh, uh, he uh, he encouraged manipulation of the of the breath, and I can see the benefit and the and mm-hmm. yeah. the problem with that and. And that's a technique that I typically use because by 
manipulating the breath, I can feel at ease much, you know, sooner. And then, and then my concentration and mindfulness is, you know, gets much better, much sooner. Any, any aid that's helpful <coughs> is worth using, whether it's hot shower before meditation, or meditating in breath, or uh, verbally uh, noticing the beginning and the middle and the end of the breath to help you stay concentrated, or anything like that. But there's always a point at which it's time to let go of it. There's always a point where it served its purpose, and to continue to use it uh, is, has the opposite effect. That you start to become dependent upon it. So it's, it's just that you, you have to be aware of that. And you're over e- if you're over-eager to have a really deep, profound meditation, that's what you... If, if, if you set that in your mind as, that's where I want my meditation to be and I want to be there as soon as possible, and then you always meditate under just the right circumstances, and you do whatever it is, that all, all of the different tricks you've learned to give you the best possible meditation, then uh, you're probably not going to do nearly as well when you don't have all of those supports available to you. You know, if you, if you get in the habit of using crutches after a while, you become dependent upon them. No, and this is there's, <laughs> no, this is illustrated by another one of the uh, of the Dharma stories of uh, a, a monk who goes off to a cave and meditates by himself, and he becomes he develops this fantastic concentration and equanimity and, and loving kindness, and so then he t- decides it's time to go back and speak to his master. So he heads heads back from the cave back to the monastery. And the first village crossroad that he comes to, where of course there's traffic going and the people set up stands to, you know, he totally loses his temper. Uh, I don't remember the details. Sometimes uh-huh. happen. Right. He totally that. loses his temper. Uh-huh. And, you know, <laughs> no more equanimity, no more loving kindness, no more concentration. <laughs> when he was all by himself in the cave, that was one thing. Maybe both practices uh, should be should be Absolutely. should be done. Well, and, yes. and, then, and then we shouldn't go to, as far as say, for example, find the noisiest possible place to meditate. You know, uh, right. and that right. may not right. yield any kind of good results at all. Yeah, yes. for for a beginner like me. Yeah. You know, and when you can, you know, if you have your perfect place at home to meditate every day, meditate every day in that place, and that's great. But then, when you find yourself in another circumstance, you meditate there too, and you gain the benefit of. Both. That's all. So you would recommend that we do both? <laughs> yes, yeah, sure, certainly. Yeah. It's, kind of, it's yeah. like training, uh, you know, different exercise. Uh, That's right. To the extent that you have learned Tanjeff's method of controlling the breath, um, use that, but with the idea that you're only going to use it until you don't need it anymore. Okay. And always be looking for that day that you don't need it anymore. I'm sorry, I want to ask a question. I think that's this more fundamental question. Is mm-hmm. what's the purpose we do meditate? I thought the meditation, the purpose, it is the training, is the tool. Mm-hmm. But basically, one through the meditate, 
hopefully we can utilize that kind of uh, uh, status and uh, we can see what's the uh, craving and what's uh, those things around us. That, I think that is the purpose, not the... Or sometimes I confuse because so talking things like uh, feel comfortable and, and relax, that, I don't think that is the purpose of the... Even though yeah. how deep the samatha is not the deep, not the purpose of meditate. It, it, I think the Dharma practice, meditate is helping to do the more... Uh, I don't know, I, I would like to ask you, what's the purpose for the meditate, the fundamental? Well, it's, it's, uh, the purpose is mental training, and in the process of the mental training, attaining insight. Uh-huh. You know? And so, uh, the idea here of what we're talking about is that you don't, there, there's nothing wrong with, with taking advantage of things that will assist you in improving, improving your mental training. But at the same time, it is all about mental training. It's about not being dependent upon those things. It's about learning to be able to calm the mind under any circumstances, not manipulating the world so that you can easily make the mind calm. But you can do some of both as long as you don't lose sight of that. But then the other part of the purpose of meditation, which is really important, is that in the process of training the mind, you discover the nature of the mind. And the nature of the mind is at the heart of the nature of reality. So in the process of training the mind, you have the opportunity to come to know and understand what really is the truth about yourself in all of these different ways. And that is what will liberate you, is what you learn in the process, you know. So, um, if you make your goal only in terms of the training, then you're really missing a lot of opportunity. It's not a disaster. You could say, okay, I want to achieve samatha, I want to achieve uh, perfect concentration, uh, perfect mindful awareness, and uh, joy and tranquility and equanimity. And I want to achieve those as soon as possible, and you, that's all you're interested in is whatever's going to get there, there as fast as possible. You will, with that approach, miss out on all of the insights that are available to you in the process of the training. It's not a total loss, though. I mean, once you have a mind with concentration, mindful awareness, joy, uh, tranquility, and equanimity, then you can take up the practice of insight. But you don't have to do it that way. And the very first time that you say, I'm going to place my mind on my breath and something else happens, this is a lesson. What happened? Why did that happen? How did that happen? When you, uh, you know, as I was talking about last night, and this is another part of uh, uh, what I want to ask you is, is have you... Have any of you had any insights into mentality and materiality, nama and rupa, as we talked about last night, since then? Because when 
you're placing your mind on a sensation, what are the distractions that come up? If you, if you notice what they are, you'll notice they are of two kinds. There are other sensations, and then there are all the mental objects that are triggered by those sensations. And then the mental objects that are triggered by the mental objects. Right? <laughs> so, what's being presented to you right away, as soon as you try to place your mind on the meditation object, is the opportunity to discover that, indeed, it's true. All there is is Nama and Rupa. All there is is sensations and the mental formations. And these two are dependent upon each other and related to each other. So did anybody happen to notice anything in regard to that during the day today? Yes, Jackie? Um, just now I was wondering your statement that uh, reality, uh, re- reality is, uh, is always uh, here now. And uh, yesterday I was doing a working edition. It's not something new, but I just realized that. Um, you see, when we do the walking meditation, we need to watch the steps, mm-hmm. and, uh, the flow of the you know, legs. And uh, I just realized that if um, um, Mahayana has the idea of all the, the work or suchness or emptiness, mm-hmm. and I wonder what's that? And what's your statement? And, the, and how, how can I connect this uh, together? So I realized that if we our minds thirty percent, say hundred percent, presented in the moment of the movement, and the movement and the movement become a, a kind of suchness. Become what? Suchness. 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 Suchness, thatness, yeah. As it. As it. As it. Yeah. But the problem is our minds is always not. Maybe it's too fast or too slow mm-hmm. or in a moment but go away, not mm-hmm. your subject. That's right. So ideally that if a hundred percent present in the first steps, then we realize that that's the that's the suchness. That's suchness, yeah. That's the suchness. Yes, that the Buddha was known as the Tathagata, which means gone to suchness. Yeah. Yeah. So, I have a question. Mm-hmm. Yes. How do you think of a generally uh, Mahayana practice? Mm-hmm. I was uh, uh, wondering a lot, you know, doing a half hour after 6.30 today. So, Mahayana, have, they have a six paramitas. Yes. And today I just realized that Everybody can 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 decide here. Can uh, but uh, it's actually three half uh, three often I mean it's about concentration, meditation, and wisdom. That's right. And the four and the first three is the um, um, charity and uh, and uh, uh, discipline and uh, endurance. It's come from the last three parts. Well, usually, usually uh, and, uh, yeah, go ahead. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Western is the center. It's not, not nothing new, but they just kind of like mm-hmm. realize that. Um, uh, realize more than before. Mm-hmm. Zulu is a uh, yeah, good shit. Yeah. 
Uh, the, the perfections, the, those six perfections, the paramitas, are a wonderful description of the path and the practice of those perfections. And they are the way that uh, I usually uh, use slightly different terminology than you did, but generosity, virtue, patience, uh, effort, uh, concentration, and wisdom. Yeah, I realized that it's the same as the eight noble, 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 yeah, thank you. Oh, but a lot of the Mahayana temples and practice mm-hmm. uh, I'm coming from a Chinese Buddhist community, so nowadays I think uh, a lot of uh, temples are doing a lot of ritual things. So they are really, in a sense, mm-hmm. lost a little bit mm-hmm. the concentration and meditation part. Yes, that's true. I noticed that even the Shia temple is one of, one of the biggest temples here around. And uh, they only organize um, a seven days meditation retreat in seven years or eight years. Mm-hmm. It's kind of surprising. Yeah. Although meditation, you know, is supposed not only in the retreat, but this kind of a symbolic thing. It is an unfortunate thing that uh, has happened. So but perhaps that will change. A new generation, new attitudes, new interest in meditation that may bring meditation back in. I, I haven't actually seen it myself, but I understand that uh, the, I mean, I've, I've been to Silai Temple, but I haven't seen the meditation hall there. I understand it's a very beautiful meditation hall. They keep it locked up, so. That's the one yeah, in the back of the yeah. Yeah. I think they have free lessons now. I went there um, uh, during the new year, mm-hmm. and I saw that once a week they have like one hour of free meditation. Yeah, the Sunday morning they have a meditation section for you. Yeah. Oh. yeah. Okay. I don't know I'm not complaining, but the so instruction they are sometimes kind of from a textbook. <laughs> well, not against anybody or any temple. Now, wouldn't it be nice to do a meditation retreat in the Sea Temple meditation? That's one place, yeah. One place is very good. I think meditation is very important because I believe that uh, one of my favorite uh, uh, Dharma teacher, um, Ayakima, mm-hmm. Ayakima, she said, and also Ajahn Brown said the same thing. Mm-hmm. They said that uh, no joy. No meditation, no enlightenment. Yeah. Yeah. As a matter of fact, the Buddha said that too. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> because Buddha in the Sutra, Buddha himself, he said that the joy of meditation, this is the joy that I would allow myself to indulge. Mm-hmm. He said that. Yeah. So meditation is supposed to be very joyful, and we should. Mm-hmm. We deserve to have this this joy. Absolutely. We deserve to have this yeah. happiness. Mm-hmm. Because Buddha himself indulged him into mm-hmm. this joy. And uh, he said in the sutra, he said that uh, enjoy meditation, uh, enjoy this, uh, uh, attached to this enjoyment. You can have a four result. Mm-hmm. The stream winner, the the uh, once returner, once returner, non returner, and arahant. Yeah. This is the four 
result that if you indulge yourself into jhana, jhana or the you know, right. joy of meditation is in the sutra. Is it attached? Yes. <laughs> no. He, he said that uh, indulge. That he, he said that I would allow myself indulge this joy of meditation. Yes. A lot of times I don't let myself indulge because um, in the meditation because I want to look for answers. And, you know, a lot of times it seems like certain kind of indulgence can actually um, mm -hmm. s slow me from, from progressing further and, yeah. and observing the truth more clearly. Well, and what your your concern is that when you use the word indulge, you're 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 associating it with the arising of of uh, an unwholesome greed and attachment, mm -hmm. right? Yes. But uh, it uh, but just if you're going to indulge in anything, uh -huh. indulge. This is one thing. <laughs> indulge, in <laughs> indulge in meditation. I see. I see. So so it's the least harmful of all the indulgence. Uh, yes, and as a matter of fact, if you practice it successfully, it will cease to be that kind of indulgence and in, in, involving attachment. And, uh, okay, okay. So, so if I want to indulge something, don't open a bottle of wine, go meditate. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. Yes, Ben. Uh, one thing I've noticed in my own meditation is um, there's a tendency to think of, of you know following the breath as very boring and mundane, but. One thing I had this sudden realization was, you know, after the, having the fourteenth, the same thought over fourteen for the fourteenth time in meditation, I was like, how, you know, how boring really is, you know, is our mental process really because it's so repetitive and it's so, you know, going trying to, you know, trying to figure things out or trying to, you know, plan things out. All of these things just are mm -hmm. so. So much more boring than than, <laughs> than a single breath can really be. If you, if you try to truly, truly be there for it. So that's one thing. That's that's a wonderful One. illustration there. Yeah, fourteen yeah. times the same thought. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's literally. I mean, it's, yeah. Yeah. Thousands of times. Yeah. yeah, and. Uh, and the more you become aware of the contents of your mind, they, they, your mind becomes rather tiresome and tedious. It's, it's wonderful when you can get it to just quiet down, <laughs> let the joy, the calm, the peace arise. It's very wonderful. And one thing, it's not really related, but it reminded me uh, um, that uh, uh, Jack Cornfield uh, talks about one of his teachers, apparently there was a student who was complaining about how boring the breath was. And so the teacher said, hold your breath. <laughs> so. mm. It says that, yes. So fast. Yeah. Um, How's the amount of time for meditation practice been for you? I'd like a little feedback. Good? About right? Getting better. Mm -hmm. Are you taking full advantage of it? I heard some rumors that some people are having naps in the afternoon, so 
package. So we're doing outside. I was looking for the perfect spot. No, no, I got my perfect spot. We have a different karma. So. But is uh, you know enough meditation time? Not too much meditation time, and so forth. Yeah. Um, I actually took a nap after lunch because <laughs> I was really sleepy. Mm-hmm. But maybe because of it, my afternoon sit actually uh, was good. Uh, I thought it was good because I I mm-hmm. won't wasn't like having food coma. Um, mm-hmm. But I I kind of curious because I had a. The, the afternoon sit was the longest sit that I had, that I had ever had mm-hmm. uh, with my own will, not, mm-hmm. not because I have to. Um, but I came to this place where I feel very calm, um, very peaceful. Uh, there's no uh, yearning for anything. And I was trying to keep my uh, attention on the breath and just purely observing the sensation. Mm-hmm. But he became so sensitive mm-hmm. with the inhale and exhale. Um, not that I wouldn't say it hurts, but kind of hurts. Yeah, most hurts. Yes, I know. Mm-hmm. And it's so sensitive, and and so then I try to stop just keeping it here, and then I try to just place it mm-hmm. somewhere else. So I lift a finger, and when I lift a finger, I could feel. Like all the sensations that kind of, like the nerve endings all the way kind of goes this way. Um, and and I got up and I just feel like, did I do something wrong? It's <laughs> like... And that's, well, that's something right, you know, that, that's, that's very powerful mindful awareness. And that's, yeah, uh, I, I'm glad that you have experienced that and that you mentioned that. Because I think every, all of you probably I have had the experience that as your concentration becomes uh, strong, your breathing becomes very, very fine and very, very shallow. And one of two things will happen. If your mindful awareness is not high, it becomes hard to feel the breath. But you can have such powerful mindful awareness that even though you're barely breathing, the, the sensation is almost painful, it's so intense. And that's what you were talking about. And then you moved your, your awareness to another part of your body and found that you had exactly that same very intense awareness. Now in that, when you're meditating like that today, uh, was your mind relatively free of thoughts and distractions? Uh, almost no thoughts, just maybe the faint whisper in the background every now and then? Only the second half. On the second half, yeah. But do I continue because it's uncomfortable here? What I would suggest you do, if you have, if you come to that space again, and hopefully you will many times more in the next few days, when you come to that time where your breath is very, very uh, uh, calm and quiet, your mind is very calm and quiet, your body is very still, and your awareness is sharp and high, locate uh, some place in your body that feels pleasant, which may be in your hands or your face or something like that. Meditate on the pleasure, on the pleasant, pleasant sensation 
but the, particularly the pleasantness of the pleasant sensation, rather than the almost painful sensation of your nose. So I'm not focusing. I'm kind of. No, you're staying back. focused. You're completely focused. You're totally focused here. Okay, and then you just allow yourself to discover. Okay, there must be some place in your body that feels pleasant. You find that, and then you shift the attention. So you're sitting like this, and you find that you have a really warm, pleasant sensation in your hand. So then you leave the sensation of the breath behind, and bring your awareness here, focus on that pleasant sensation, and just observe it. See what happens with it. See how it changes. But take that as a meditation object. You're now looking at it in exactly the same way you were looking at these sensations here. But instead of looking at the sensation produced by air, you're looking at the pleasantness of the sensation that has arisen in some part of your body. Okay. Okay. Um. If the pleasantness goes away, which it might, just come back and do this again for maybe another five minutes and then try it again. Okay. Okay. And let me know what happens. But is it okay if I take a nap? No. <laughs> yeah, well, um, you know, if, you, if you're experiencing tiredness and you think that it's due to lack of sleep and you've made your best effort to overcome the, the uh, drowsiness in the practice, uh, then maybe taking a half an hour nap is the best thing to do, especially uh, you'll, you'll know that was the case if you come back and, uh, and after a half an hour and you have a really, really good meditation. But uh, in general, most of you shouldn't really need to have a, a nap during the day if you're getting enough sleep at, at night. So uh, by saying that to you, I'm suggesting, I'm not suggesting everybody go and have a nap in the afternoon. <laughs> And I really brought that up because I just wanted to get a little feedback on how you felt about the time, uh, you know, that uh, was scheduled for meditation and how it was working for you. Jackie? I have a long habit of uh, taking a new nap. A new nap. Yeah. I don't know if it's the, if it's the, the cause of the, the afternoon meditation. so mm-hmm. easy to be sleepy or not. But uh, after, uh, in these this years, I'm not so... Every day I have, have a chance to take a nap. Mm-hmm. But before um, before mm-hmm. people left, yeah, I, I had. And uh, I realized that if I was free at home, mm-hmm. afternoon at that time, yeah. just a Well, one of the reasons that we always try to schedule uh, some extra time after the meals is, is often yogis and retreats will go and take a short nap uh, after eating, either some exercise or, or a rest. And uh, that's, that's what that time is intended for. Uh, you have a little bit less time on this retreat than on previous retreats, which is part of why I'm trying to find out how the meditation time is working out. But I would much rather that you had your rest in the times that are set aside for it. You know, you have your lunch, and then you go have your rest in. Or likewise, exercise. Some people, rather than having a rest, it's exercise they want to do. But you do that in that time, rather than uh, in the time that's been set aside and made available for practice. I'd like you to get the maximum benefit from the practice. Yeah? Yesterday, after lunch, I, I, I did a 10 minutes nap, I think. 
20 minutes. I fall, yeah. I fall asleep. Yeah. And today I, I, I didn't do it. I, I say I maybe I just instead talk about uh, yeah. taking a nap and I used to walk in meditation. Uh, this afternoon is quite sleepy. <laughs> well, that's good. But yeah, I, I would prefer that if you can, you have your nap, you know, during the break time. <laughs> so dealing with drowsiness is also good practice. Uh, yes, and the, and and I want to stress that uh, when you're dealing with drowsiness, the drowsiness has two possible sources. One is physical and mental fatigue which, you know, is, is more likely to be the case when you're meditating at home on certain occasions than when you're in a, in a retreat. Although, the first day or two in a retreat, people often have been very busy, not getting enough sleep, they go on retreat, and the first thing that happens is, you know, they've got to catch up on their rest. It's not at all unusual. Uh, many retreats that I've been to, the first couple of days, there's a lot of people doing a lot of sleeping the first couple of days. Very often they're doing sleeping in the meditation hall sitting like this. <laughs> so by this time we shouldn't but, have any excuses. But by, by uh, a couple of days into the retreat, there really shouldn't be any mental fatigue. And uh, you should actually be moving to the point where you probably can get by with less sleep, or at least you need less sleep. So uh, the other kind of drowsiness is that you experience is the dullness that comes just because your mind's calming down, the energy of your mind is 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 diminishing, and uh, there is a tendency for the dullness to lead to sleepiness. And when it's that kind, that's what you want to train yourself beyond. And, and what I mean there is that you'll go through a period where that comes up, and perhaps quite often, and if you if you deal with it properly, you come to a point where you'll never have to deal with it again. <coughs> or the only time you'll experience drowsiness is when you're physically tired or didn't get enough sleep before. Okay? So, so uh, you know, it, it, it was like with the other things that we talked about earlier. If every time you find you're having drowsiness in meditation, if you go have a nap, then you'll never get past that point. <laughs> So is is that yeah. the same as dealing with pain? Like uh, mm-hmm. once you pass, go past. I, that's kind of my experience. It was very painful at the beginning, mm-hmm. but yeah, that's right. There are these there are these uh, thresholds that you pass. You'll 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 come to a point where you uh, virtually never lose a meditation object again. You never forget it. That's a very important threshold to come to. And then you likewise come to a place where. You never have to deal with strong drowsiness again, uh, you know, and you'll come to a place where you never have pain in sitting again. What's the explanation for this, you know, threshold once in a lifetime kind of? <laughs> well, um, it it is it is a training. Um, you know, the reason that you stop forgetting the meditation object is that you have trained your mind. To where, from now on, I mean, if you stop meditating for two or three years and start it again, well, you're going to forget the meditation object, you know. But you train, you trained your mind at a certain point, and you know it's like uh, like any other kind of training, like physical training or any other skill. You know, once you once you've mastered it, it's always going to uh, it's going to continue. And all three of these things, the overcoming of dullness, 
you can train you train your mind not to sink into dullness and then once you've trained your mind not to sink into dullness it doesn't sink into dullness unless maybe you didn't get enough sleep the night before and then but even then even if you are, are meditating and you only had two hours sleep the night before if if you if you practice to the point where you've overcome dullness you've trained your mind not to sink into dullness uh, it, it won't be nearly as difficult to meditate after two hours sleep as it, uh, as it would otherwise have been. And likewise, the bodily pain. The pain of sitting still, there is actually, it's related, I believe, to the, the energy, to the chi, and to what happens as the mind becomes trained into unification that not only do you not have pain in sitting anymore, many of you, I'm sure, find that after you've been sitting for a while, you get up and your leg's asleep, or your foot's asleep, or something like that. It doesn't happen anymore. Or you're sitting there and there's this numbness and tingling that develops. And uh, so, okay, I, you know, I don't have an authoritative source for telling you this, but what, in my experience, it seems that there's a certain point where the flow of chi in your body, due to the training of your mind, is such that your arms and legs and shoulders and things like that don't don't become strained, don't ache, don't fall asleep, don't become numb. And of course, once you reach that point, it's wonderful. It makes <laughs> it makes meditation so much easier. <laughs> yeah. But of course, you know, if you haven't reached that point and uh, the only time you're not falling asleep is when your knees hurting so bad you can't stand it. <laughs> and if it's not one of those two things, your mind's wandering. You know, it's hard to believe. <laughs> so, how can this ever happen? Maybe other people can do it. I can't. Right? But yeah. Yeah. But these are just uh, these are just the ordinary results of continued practices. It becomes easier. <laughs> ah, yes. Well, and now it's time for us to begin. <laughs> um, you know, I, I have the, the feeling and, and my uh, mentor, guide, and assistant suggested that perhaps I hadn't scheduled quite enough time for talking. I'm a talker, as you may have noticed. So. <laughs> but, but I found this kind of a group discussion really help. It's mm-hmm. encouraging, sharing, and I feel lots of loving kindness here. Mm-hmm. And uh, that, that really, I feel like a uh, lift up. Good. I, I feel like they're good too. And I have, uh, I have uplift, I'm sorry. Uplifting, yes. Well, English is not my mother tongue, it's not my first language. Um, <laughs> No problems. You do well. Uh, and uh, I feel like I have so much that I want to share with you and tell you about, although sometimes it might be too much. But, <laughs> but please, we love it. Please, can you, can you talk to us more? I will. I will do that. Um, anyway, uh, maybe that is enough for tonight. So if you'd like to... Uh, just briefly stretch, and then we'll uh, we'll sit together until nine. So, uh, how about four minutes? Just.
do whatever you need to do to be comfortable and lovely sit.